Hey everybody, welcome back to Explain Like I'm 5, the podcast where we take the questions you always wanted to ask and talk about them in a way that's easy to understand. We are your hosts, I'm Tim. Hey everyone, I'm Kevin. So Kevin, what does every five-year-old love and want to talk about? Um, ice cream? That's right, and that's what we're talking about today. But before we start, we have to say a big thank you, because we're really excited about this, um, to D.E. Shaz, the listener who left us a five-star rating and review. <laughs> Yes, yes, he left a very nice review. Uh, thank you, they said. This podcast answers questions I've often wondered about in a brief and concise way. Tim and Kevin don't spend useless time chatting and cutting up, which irritates me in many podcasts. From what's an antibody to why do we yawn, I'm always educated and entertained at the same time. One of my favorite podcasts. So thank you again for the wonderful feedback and the rating on iTunes. Uh, we use the feedback to hopefully get better with every episode. Uh, now to today's topic of ice cream. Kevin, you ready? <laughs> yes, totally ready. Okay. Why is vanilla considered the neutral or the natural ice cream flavor? You know, when I was young, I originally liked vanilla. As then I started liking chocolate for a bit, but I'm back to loving vanilla as my main flavor. Uh, and part of it is it was just, you know, it's so good, right? It's so versatile and so available that the general consensus is that it kind of became boring. Um, it was overexposed, overdone, uh, even copied poorly so often and for so long that the general population actually forgot how good it really is when done well. It, you know, it kind of got buried under the mountain of its own success. Uh, but it seems to me that vanilla is a flavor that just doesn't draw loads of attention to itself. Uh, especially when balanced with, with sugar and cream. So it, it really adds to the complexity of the flavor profile so that it tastes well balanced. And artificial vanilla flavoring was actually synthesized in the 19th century. So presumably vanilla ice cream was cheaper to make than other flavors which actually required fresh fruit or chocolate. So ice cream was only invented in the 1800s then? Sounds kind of late. Actually no, uh, ice cream was first eaten as early as 500 BC in Persia. They invented a really special type of ice cream reserved for royalty during summers, which is made of rose water and vermicelli. <laughs> uh, and then in 200 BC, the Chinese used a frozen mixture of milk and rice to make ice cream. So it was an elite uh, dessert at that point, right? Not mainstream. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In terms of coming mainstream, uh, you know, popular Ice cream became a hit in the Mediterranean in the 1800s. And part of the key was that the Mediterranean people during the 1800s could easily afford ice cream. People started to make lots of recipes for ice cream and then it started booming. Wasn't there also a point in the 1950s when ice cream suddenly took off? 1950s was also important. Um, ice cream became a lot more popular because personal refrigeration was easily affordable. Uh, thus, many people you know, started owning fridges and could store the ice cream for a very long time without melting. So here's a point that confuses a lot of people. Um, we often put salt into ice cream makers and ice cream machines to make the ice colder. Mm -hmm. But we also put salt on sidewalks and on streets during the winter to melt the ice. So how can it be both? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's, it's, very, it's very interesting. The... It's a, it's a common misconception that salt uh, makes ice colder. Salt does not make ice colder. Uh, what you're going for in both cases you mentioned is actually a state change. You want liquid water, not solid water, which is ice, uh, without having to, try, uh, to compromise the temperature. So 
Salt will actually reduce the melting point of ice, but it doesn't change the thermal energy of like the, the entire system. And if basically, if you have a block of ice that is uh, much colder than zero degrees Celsius, uh, adding salt won't really change the, te the temperature. However, if a block of ice, you know, kind of near zero degrees Celsius, uh, or for example, if you have an ice water mixture, uh, adding salt will melt some of the ice and reduce the system's temperature. Uh, there's no external heat source applied, right? Uh, but some of the ice still melts. Remember, you know, melting does cost energy. So the system uses its own thermal energy to melt the ice, hence the whole idea of reducing the melting point of ice. Now, to bring it back to uh, the early examples, in the case of the ice cream maker, there's always at least a thin layer of liquid between the cream container and the solid ice. So colder liquid water uh, means more heat transfers out of the ice cream into the liquid water, uh, so the ice cream freezes uh, fast enough to kind of freeze all the air bubbles in the mix, uh, which is why ice cream has such a great texture. And in the case of sidewalks, uh, colder liquid water means more ice melts and flows off of the sidewalk. Uh, and melting continues at the lower temperatures when the kind of sun shines out, reducing the slipping hazard. The whole point is just, you know, turning ice into water. Why are milkshakes always the most expensive dessert item on a fast foods menu? Oh, that's such a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> Isn't it just milk and ice cream? What is the expensive part? <laughs> that is so true. Uh, and they must be making so much money <laughs> because, uh, yeah, yeah, most fast food places actually do not even use ice cream anymore. Uh, they use this starch substance called shake base, uh, and then add some flavoring and milk while mixing. Um, the milk is sealed into these airtight bags, sometimes unopened for months, and the cost of ingredients for these milkshakes is really low. We're talking like less than 20 cents for a 16 ounce milkshake. Uh, but I guess, you know, the price that you pay is always dictated by demand. <laughs> Uh, that's a huge, that's a huge margin. Real milkshakes are delicious, <laughs> and that's because they have a lot of ice cream in them. If you ever try to make one at home, maybe uh, try making a milkshake with your kids, uh, you'll see that it takes a lot of ice cream to get uh, a cup the size they sell in a restaurant. And so if it's a real milkshake you're buying, that's probably why it's expensive. You know, a 12 ounce shake takes about two to three ounces of milk and at least nine ounces of ice cream. And real ice cream made without any supplements is expensive, but you know, well worth it. So here's another one. Why does root beer foam so much when poured into ice cream? Uh, root beer floats. It, you know, it's a combination of two major factors. Uh, first, uh, ice cream actually has a lot of surface area, uh, which means more nucleation points. And these, are, these points are uh, generally what means more bubbles. And secondly, uh, milk and cream have a higher surface tension than water. This also means those bubbles are stronger. So I wonder if you know the answer to this question, Kevin. Who eats the most ice cream per capita in the world? Also the first country that sees the new year. <laughs> per capita, New Zealanders are the leading ice cream consumers in the world, uh, eating apparently uh, 20 liters each per year. I'm proud of my countrymen. So a final question. <laughs> Why do we eat ice creams out of a cone? And where did the whole idea of a cone even come from? Ah, the cone. Um, so there's a story that says ice cream cones, you know, they were served and used in the late 19th century, but actually their popularity increased greatly during the St. Louis World's Fair in 1904. Tell us what happened during the fair. 
so according to legend, it was summer, um, and an ice cream vendor at the fair ran out of cardboard dishes. And just so happened that next door, uh, the vendor at the Syrian waffle, waffle booth, uh, how unsuccessful in the heat, <laughs> offered to make cones by rolling up his waffles. And thus, you know, they combined their products and the new product sold so well and was copied by many other vendors and now is generally known as the waffle cone. Thanks for that, Kevin. Did you learn something new today? If you did, send us a tweet or send us an email. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you have suggestions on future episodes. Thank you as always to the wonderful community at r slash explain like I'm five on Reddit. We will see you all next week.